I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Alana Stott is a mother, wife, author, producer, philanthropist, and entrepreneur. She founded Wolf Raven Omni Media as a vehicle to help tell amazing and inspirational stories, including her own, while fiercely advocating for causes aimed at making the world a better place. Stott has written the game-changing business and philanthropy book, How to Ask for Money, her powerful memoir, She Who Dares, and a series of empowering children's books, all to be published in 2023. Alana was Miss Scotland 2018. She also raised $1.3 million for a mental health awareness campaign at the request of Prince Harry and Stott's husband, Dean Stott, a double world record-breaking cross-country cyclist, TV presenter, and former UK Special Forces operator. Alana was awarded the title of Member of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, on the King's Honor List 2023 for her work supporting vulnerable women and mental health awareness. So please welcome to the show, Alana Stott. Thank you you so much for agreeing to share your journey with us. Uh, I don't take your time lightly. You know, I appreciate your energy, your wisdom. So I'm excited to jump into this conversation. Thank you. So before we get to, you know, where you are presently and how you got there, I'd love to understand the mindset behind our guest and how your past connects to your present. So, you know, before society started to impose limiting beliefs on you, or maybe, you know, family, you know, tried to impose their limiting beliefs on you, I would love to know what you wanted to be as a little girl and what you were like as a teenager. Oh, wow. So I think my very, very first dream almost was to be a vet that was my as a little little girl and then I had this dream that a spider came into the surgery so then I woke up and I was like I don't want to be a vet anymore um but after that it was always a lawyer that was my my dream as a kid was to be a lawyer I 
anytime I seen something that just didn't seem right to me, I wanted to fix it. So I think that's where that that came from. Um, but I was always really, really good with money and finances and maths and things. So my accounting teacher, he was like, you have to be an accountant. My parents were like, you have to be an accountant. So everybody was like, but I found money really easy but boring but I did drift into that field eventually and then as a teenager I guess my my younger brother was born when I was nine so I'm sorry to to go back a little bit my mum and dad got divorced when I was seven and then my mum met someone else and uh, he was he was I think about 13 years younger than my mum so when they had a, a, a surprise child he probably struggled and she struggled a bit so Adam, my younger brother, was was almost my responsibility immediately. So he was in my bedroom from when he was born and I got up and done the night feeds and done all that sort of things from nine. So from nine, all my friends were going out, you know, playing in the park and doing all those things. And I had this new little responsibility. So I guess from from nine is probably when my motherhood began in, in my life. So that, that kind of teenage years then, my mum got sick when I was around 13. So that I became almost like the, the breadwinner of the house. I was the one working. I was doing all this. Um, so it was just about providing for the family. And then when she passed away at 15, then that responsibility became like a, a more f- a full-time permanent one. So I guess I always say from the age of nine, that was when I've always been looking after other people. Wow. I mean, well, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. I would be interested to know, like, how do you feel having to take on adult responsibilities from such a young age shaped who you are today? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I've got an 11 year old daughter and I've also got a six month old, I've got a six year old son and a six month old daughter. Um, And I'm really cautious to make sure that Molly gets to have her childhood. And because it's very, very easy for me to say, well, you just watch the the younger ones, keep an eye on the younger ones. But I've always got that, that thought that I want her to have, that childhood because it's such a small amount of time um and it does shape you you know if you miss out on that fun parts of childhood it really does shape the rest of your life and and you know it's it's a difficult one I was speaking with my husband the other day I said I don't want her to have the life that I had per se like I don't want her that life but it hasn't made me a bad person so it's quite it's it's you know you don't want to spoil your kids because you've I heard something the other day that something like three generations you know if you if if you're driving about in a ferrari by three generations that that will be lost if you keep that that system up you know like not teaching a kid resilience and hardship and i call it the fear you know the fear of not being able to pay the rent or not being able to pay the or not being able to eat you know if they don't have that fear then they're not learning that so it's a, it's a balancing act to make sure she is having a childhood and enjoying life and being happy, but also gaining that strength and resilience that one day she'll have to do it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. How has motherhood changed you or even forced you to heal? Yeah, I guess my, so my younger brother was always, you know, my responsibility as far as in my, in my heart, I guess, as I was growing up. Um, and then when I had my own children, it was, a different feeling you know I think Molly was the first one to come along and so when I was when I was 15 my when my mum passed and then Adam's dad got custody of him in the end and he moved away so I moved down to live around where they lived 
So at 17, um, unfortunately, I was attacked and I was raped by two men and went through a court case with them and they both went to jail. And now for for me, it's doing everything to protect Molly from ever being in any of those kind of situations. So my healing process is almost when she was born, the protector in me, I, I knew I was a protector, but by God, when I had a daughter, it came out so much more and everything about the way I bring her up the way I teach her everything is to protect her protect her body you know from from what could happen in this world so that definitely was something that I wasn't expecting I knew I would be I knew I had the maternal instincts but the protector instincts were something that came out fiercely with Molly and I think different with my son it's strange because my son is like my baby boy and I love him and it's awesome and it's great but you know she definitely gets the stricter mom who's very, very, very protective of her. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sorry you had to go through that experience of having your space violated. You know, when you say that it gives you that instinct to be that protector for your daughter, I can totally understand because it's like our childhood wounds and our childhood traumas. At the end of the day, we're all adults walking around with our trauma responses. So the way that we function is because of, you know, things that happened when we were younger. So you having even subconsciously and consciously not wanting her to ever feel that that's that automatic protection because she's a female, totally, totally understand. So I guess, so you lost your mom at a young age and you know, typically our parents and our caregivers are our loudest, you know, fans or critics, whether we choose to rebel as, as teenagers or not. So with your mom passing away and getting sick at such a young age, where did you receive praise from? Um, I had uh, an older auntie, a great auntie. She was, she passed away a couple of years ago. She was 95 when she, when she went, but she was probably like my closest thing I would have to to a maternal figure I guess and she you know she was born in 1924 you know she lived through the war she was an amazing woman she never married traveled the world um you know she was going on single women holidays in 1947 you know she was she was awesome um but she was the one who gave me you know she taught me respect she taught me my please and thank you she taught me how to you know she she was always helping people at 80 years old she was doing other people's like shopping and things and getting people's groceries and stuff so she was one of those but the one thing that I never had which was really strange and it it probably goes into the Mrs. Scotland uh, stuff was you know my mum was a really beautiful woman she 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 was 37 when she passed and we never got to the stage of her helping me with things like makeup and how to do your hair and how to look after your skin and any of those types of things I didn't learn at all and it wasn't till I kind of fell into the pageant world that I learned all these things from all the other women like just literally how to do makeup was nothing that I ever even picked up on and I just never never did Right. So regards for the, um, I was uh, I was saying this to my husband the other day, like my kids, I tell them I love them about a thousand times a day and I hug them all the time. And I've never, I, I've still never really had that, that person, that, that person who you get that cuddle from. That's, I think mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest thing that I've ever missed is, is that, 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 because a mother's love is, I guess it's irreplaceable if it's gone. So that's definitely something that I've, I've missed, but I've got some awesome friends. That's one thing I would say. Yeah, I've noticed like as adults, 
you know, we definitely strive to give our kids what we didn't have growing up. You know, I, I grew up in government housing in certain environments and then wanting to make sure that my kids never experienced that life. So they had more than they, they need, probably spoiled them at some times. But, <laughs> you know, it, it forces us to want to do things differently, not just for our children, but in the world in general. And, you know, you're an advocate for mental health and veterans and fighting against human trafficking. So where do you feel that your drive to be an advocate comes from? I think I think because of the, the, the losses and understanding what it is to have nothing, I've never had a great deal of fear. You know, again, I was I grew up in a, in a not very nice area. You know, we had there was always something happening where we, we were. So we learned how to protect yourself. We, you know, we didn't have guns in, in like they had in the US, but, you know, I slept with a, a hockey stick next to my bed and, you know, these types of things. So you do learn how to, to look after yourself. And I knew that I could, but I also knew I had the strength to look after other people. And I think every time I seen injustices or, or bad things happening, it, I always felt like I needed to help. So when I met my husband as well, and I, I think that's what I fell in love with when I met him was he was the same as me. You know, he would be, I think I seen him pay for someone's groceries in a supermarket once without them noticing and just little things like that. I was like, this guy is the same as me. He's got, and we both got that. We need to help people. It just, it's in us to help. So you have to help. And I just think if you've got that ability, you should do it. So, um, and mainly it's to do with you know, vulnerable people. And I see, you know, I see my husband, the way he was treated when he left the military, he was injured. And it is it wasn't a very good process. So I was like, right, these guys need help. They don't know what they're doing. They're they're leaving after, you know, seventeen years of being babied by the military, really, then put out into this world with no idea what to do. Um so I, I wanted to help them. Uh when it came to trafficking, I think it was after my court case, I mean, this was twenty years ago, my court case and I don't I mean, it has changed, but not in a huge amount. I mean, you still see, you know, victim blaming and everything across across the internet. So I knew that what, you know, I, I look back at the 17-year-old girl that I was and what, you know, having to stand up in court and do do what I had to do and the way that the questions I was asked and the things that were fired back at me, um, this still goes on and there's still a lot of that that shaming and victim blaming that goes on. And I think there's there's so many different stages of post-abuse that happens that we don't talk about you know we talk Mm -hmm. we we want we almost want victims we want sad crying needing you know but there's so much more that goes that goes on in the trauma stages and the more I was learning I was learning about human trafficking I was learning about you know grooming all sorts of different things I was like this has been looked at completely wrong I have to do something so the definitely the 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 trafficking side of thing is my passion like I love helping with my husband's veteran causes I love helping the mental health sector but fighting trafficking is definitely my thing yeah I mean I've said many times in like the you know 200 and probably 50 interviews that I've I've done like every woman that I've spoken to there's a commonality where our pain births our purpose it was something that we experienced some form of trauma or something that we went through and we don't want other people to experience that. And it becomes our purpose to help and to serve and to, to make that impact. You know, I would love to know, I guess, because you've worn so many hats, um, you know, from Mrs. Scotland to, you know, bank manager to all these different hats that you've worn, you know, what for you do you feel has been the most fulfilling? Oh, um, 
But film, personally for me, is my my writing. That's definitely where I get my my comfort. If I'm in a happy place, I'm writing something. So for other people, I guess it is the work that that I do. And but I feel that with, for example, I would say I was speaking to Annette, my editor, my book the other day. So this is She Who Dares. It comes out in July, and she was editing that, that for the final stages. And she messaged me, and she was like this is great I just wanted to go through this but I also wanted to tell you this happened to me too and your book's you know and that this is the editor of the book I was like this is why I wrote this book because I and it like I wrote the book after my husband had wrote his book and people had said oh when when do we hear Alana's story and I said like I've always wrote my book but more as like a journal than anything else and then I was talking to a friend and she was going through a circumstance that was in the book and she was like, I didn't know you were going through this as well. And she's like, thank you for sharing and thank you for the journey because the journey helps. And that was when I said, look at this, I need to just write this book for that and whether I want to share these stories, you know, and it wasn't until probably during COVID that I actually started sharing my 17-year-old story because I still had like, I mean, you never heal. Like yeah. I would say, like you don't it's like a journey. Yeah, it's, it is a journey, and it's a constant journey. And I think every stage of life has changed me. When you think it's all good, and then something else will happen, then but but that's cool. And I think that's just life. And I'm not saying that you're never going to be better, but it's always part of you. It's always going to be part of you. Um, yeah. And there's always new things to learn. And I think with each stage of healing and trauma, you do grow, and you and you're able to, to develop onto that. So. Um, I don't want to tell people you're never going to be healed. (laughs) But it it is definitely um, a journey. I think that people have this perception that once you've healed from something, you're good, you never feel it again. But that's not what it is. Anyone who's been through something traumatic or, you know, had life changing events happen to them, as you evolve in your healing journey, as you evolve as a person, you feel that you've healed more and more, but it's like there's always going to be triggers or something that forces you to heal on a deeper level. It's yeah. like, you know, we we feel that we have, you know, gone to therapy and worked through things and done this, and then we've healed at a, a certain, I guess, depth. And then something happens in life and we're like, oh my God, why was I triggered? I thought I healed from that. And then, you know, we have to give ourselves grace and realize, okay, now we've evolved and opened up space to actually heal a little bit deeper, but the more that we heal, the more that we're able to help others. So I get what you're saying about, you know, not wanting to let people have this idea that you never heal, but technically we kind of don't, it's, it's a healing journey, but it's a beautiful growth process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think these things do, you know, I think you're only given what you can take. And I think the more that you have been, been put through it is to help more and more people, I think, and, and the other side. And, I think yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely different levels, and each time that I've been through a different process of healing, I've I've learned a different thing, and I like to try different things as well. I like to, you know, whether it be apart from medication, I must say, like I've I've never gone down that route because I want I don't want to be numbed by it. I want to find out what it is and, and be yeah. released, and you know, like I find out different things. And one one recently that was that. I was clinging on to this good girl, you know, like this good girl and always wanting to be the good girl. And and when I was releasing that, I was like, this is this is so part of what I talk about in this whole shame thing that we go through as women. And I was that was a real opener for me. I thought that was the one thing that I was probably still clinging on to that tiny bit of I need to be this good girl all the time. And when I felt that releasing, I was like, this is good. I like mm-hmm. this. 
Yeah. Um, because it's something that I I was guilty of with my own daughter is like, you know, be good, be respectful, be polite. Always. But actually, you know, I was watching, I don't know if you've seen the video recently of the, the awesome girl who fought off the attacker in the gym. Yes. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I was watching what she'd done, I was like, yes, this is what the teaching should be. You know, she used her instinct. She recognizes a lot of people would be polite, you know, polite and like, okay, I don't want to upset him. I don't want to offend him. You know, he's coming. No, she used her instincts and she went for it. And then weirdly enough, has been completely attacked online for certain things that she, she I was like, dude, she fought off someone like <laughs> twice her size. He's done a pretty good job of it. Um, but, you know, and the misogyny is still real out there and it's still... Uh, you know, she shouldn't have opened the door. She shouldn't have done this. She shouldn't have been wearing this. She shouldn't have been acting like this. Like, how about he just shouldn't have been doing what he done full stop? Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. I agree with you a thousand percent. It's always the the victim blaming and shaming, and not addressing what the actual crime is or what the the abuser is doing. It's why are you questioning the person who was being attacked? Like society and and again with the whole people pleaser thing i think society has conditioned women to be the people pleasers society has you know quote unquote groomed us to be that way from where we're little you know the the little girl you're supposed to be polite and you're supposed to you know sit a certain way and look a certain way and talk a certain way while men aren't given those same conditions and rules um and when a woman follows her intuition or stands up for herself or isn't the quote unquote good girl you know they get slandered or you know cancelled or whatever the internet is doing these days yeah exactly yeah and I think we've got the responsibility especially as mothers as well like you know as I said protect Molly and teach her everything that I can teach her to to protect herself but also for my son I have to teach him how to respect women how to be you know I, I want him to be a man I want him to be and I I teach chivalry like like there is a, a kind of movement of you know men shouldn't be chivalrous I completely believe men should be men and 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 have that respect and have those those boundaries with women and that's how I I want to teach and, and exactly the same with my husband like if he wants to have a discussion with me or an argument it doesn't happen in front of the kids and and if he raises his voice it's this is what you're teaching the kids so rein it in you know yeah but I think there's so much responsibility there and we've got to teach both the boys and girls those things. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, something else that I wanted to, to unpack is, um, so on your, your website, I'm going to quote what you said here. You said, I never wanted to win the lottery. I want the journey, the lessons, the failures, the struggles, and then the achievement. Only then do you truly appreciate the reward. That's the, the feeling that lasts. The world is very focused on instant gratification, one-click shopping, and easy money. But for me, true happiness comes from how I achieve something, what I achieve, and how I've helped along the way. So I wanted to unpack that because that resonated with me on so many different levels. And actually, I was reading that just now, and I was tearing up. And I was like, why am I tearing up? <laughs> but that that resonated with me on so many different levels. And you know, sometimes we see people doing certain work, and again, because of um, the internet and culture, there's always questioning as to why someone does something. Like, what is their why? Are they truly doing it to make an impact? Are they doing it, you know, we're in the world of social influencers and people who are not actually doing the work, just taking a picture, making it look like they are. So reading your words, I totally resonated with that because one, in terms of like the lottery, I think there's even a stat that says like people who win the lottery, the they go bankrupt like really quick because they never learned 
the process of how to even handle the money. They haven't learned the skills. So they're given this huge reward and not taught, you know, how to respect and honor and like the principles of, you know, what to even do with it. So they, they lose it. So we, it's like everything that you said there totally touched inside of me and how I think and how I process. So I wanted you to to unpack that just a little bit. Yeah. So my mom wanted me to go to so the, the area that we grew up in was, wasn't good. And, and the school was like probably the worst in, in the city. Um, so my mom wanted me somewhere else. So there was a, a school that was uh, a private school um, pretty expensive and you know she'd done three jobs and she worked how she could but there was no way she could afford that so there was there was um scholarships that were available and you went through the tests and things so she worked really hard to get me to that to go through the test so I went to that school and that was great but the I grew up in this area and went to this school so I'm at this school with like the richest people in town and I'm in this area with the poorest people in town so and I would get the bus to school in the morning and you know the kids on this side knew that I was going to this school so they would call me all sorts of names and then the kids at this school would know that I lived in this area and call me all sorts of names but in order for me to so my mum never gave allowances or anything like that like if we wanted it we had to go and work and, and earn some money so I would finish school and I would go to my job um anything that I bought I you know and then the kids at my school would just be given brand new like Gucci trainers or like just easy easy yeah. once they'd finish cleaning their horses or doing their thing and bless them you know that's how, how they live but when it came to things like let's say COVID I could probably let you guess who handled COVID better which area handled COVID better you know these kids that went grew up with all this like wealth and everything they didn't know how to handle when trouble hit it really was a struggle for them whereas the people that I know in my area that I grew up in that have done successful they've worked hard they've you know a lot of people say I'm very lucky you know I don't know if you've heard or if you've been called lucky but like I'm, yeah if lucky goes hard work sacrifice sleepless nights and yeah I'm lucky <laughs> yeah yeah and I found that again the people who have been handed on a plate one a lot of the time are not very nice people. They they grow attitudes and arrogance. I live in Orange County, an amazing, abundant place, but very few people are out there doing good for other people, unless it's for a tax purpose or for an ego purpose. And I'm on a border of um, homelessness everywhere. An hour's drive and I'm in Mexico where people are literally picking food off of garbage piles. And, you know, right here, an hour and a half drive, there's somebody paying two grand for a meal like it's it's mm-hmm. so I think that with wealth should come responsibility and it should and, I'm, and I, I am all for people do being successful and building their business and I'm not saying that we should people who are not willing to work and everything else like sh- they shouldn't be given everybody should work hard and become but if you're there and somebody needs help you know my mom was given help I was given help People need to help other people. So it really is to me, I want to achieve knowing that I've worked hard for it. I don't want to be given it. I don't want to be handed on a plate. And I want to feel that feeling because, you know, money is amazing and can do amazing things. But without those feelings and without that success, when I was to to go back to another story, when I was 12, as I said, my mom didn't give us anything if we went in there and Levi jeans were like all the craze when I was 12. The 501s were just like everything. And my friends all had them, you know, probably five or six pairs. But I was like, I really want a pair of Levi jeans. So I was working this cafe during the summer. I got paid two pounds an hour. 
And I just worked and worked and worked and worked until the end of the summer, I could afford to buy this pair of jeans. And I went to the shop. I, I still remember the feeling of buying them and going to the shop and paying for my money and then taking them home. And try, I remember those jeans like it was yesterday. And now it's like, if I wanted those jeans, I would press a button on Amazon. It'd probably be here by this afternoon. You know, yeah. there's no feeling there. There's no enjoyment. There's no pleasure. It's just, you've just got it. And I think that those types of things have given us that instant gratification now and you can get pretty much whatever you want in the click of a button and it has taken away that that pleasure I think and I think we could do with going back to that a little bit more yeah again I totally resonate with everything you're saying I strongly believe that you know I I call the microwave generation where you know they're just used to everything like right now I remember growing up we didn't I don't even know if microwaves were there. Maybe they were just out around them times. I don't remember. (laughs) But having to warm up food by putting it in the oven and, you know, the toaster oven or or things like that, like having to actually wait for things. (laughs) I also resonate with what you said about, you know, when you grow up in hardship, yeah, you do get help and you learn to help others because I feel like there's a difference between a handout versus a hand up. And I think that when we are given help, basically, you know, we're, we're still working to achieve something. We're still um, learning to understand the value of money and, and things rather than just being given things and appreciating it and understanding and not being, I'm going to use the word entitled, I guess, because <laughs> I, I believe like, even though I grew up in hardship, I don't think my kids could withstand that lifestyle, partially because I didn't want them to, but then I feel like there's a sense of entitlement where they don't understand the value of certain things. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's every generation exactly the same. I remember my my grandparents, they had a house it was a it was a three bedroom like end of block house and I thought it was cute I remember thinking then it was like a huge and I remember when my grandparents got a shower it was like whoa they've got a shower <laughs> um and we and you know I don't think I got a shower till I was in my late teens 20s kind of definitely on my own I remember getting it put in and it was it was super exciting that I was getting a, a shower but we had one bathroom one bath and you know me and my brother would share a bath and I tell my kids that now and they're like you had one bathroom you all had to share <laughs> the same bath. like it was some sort of like you know that we had to like actually walk up to the tv and change the channel rather than you sort of <laughs> Yeah, the the difference of our upbringing versus our kids. Like I, you know, like yourself, I grew up in a house with one bathroom. And, you know, my mom had to raise three kids. She moved in my grandparents. I think we also had my aunt living there at the time, like everybody sharing one bathroom. My son was born in a house, five bedroom house with five different bathrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Find them half the time. But like I try and say, you know, I, mean, I tell Molly and Tommy this, and, and Tommy's like, oh God, the olden days sound horrible. And I'm like, that's not the olden <laughs> But like the one thing I never lacked in that early childhood, you know, before I wouldn't say before Adam was born, sorry if you're listening to Adam, but <laughs> before like the kind of hard stuff happened, the love was always abundant. We didn't have money and we didn't have stuff, but it, it was so much fun. We would always have fun. There was always something happening that was an adventure. Like we'd go in the woods and we'd play and we'd, you know, just find things to, to make fun. So it was never any lack of anything like that. Yeah, we didn't have we didn't have a shower and we didn't have, you know, a remote control, but it was always happiness and fun. And, and when, then you did get those new things like 
we had four four channels on the TV and then when channel five came in it was like whoa you know and it was so exciting and so like amazing to get it <laughs> but it happened quite slowly I, I remember now it seems to be there's always something new coming or evolving or you know I think I walked past the DVD store the other day and I was like well do people still rent DVDs that's amazing <laughs> But I guess, yeah, we, you know, in probably in 40 years time, Molly's kids are going to be like, well, did you, did you only have five bathrooms? Or I don't know, maybe we'll go back. I don't know how how it'll be, but it is always changing. But I think as long as you're, you're happy in that, in that circumstances, then, you know, a lot of kids are growing up a lot worse. I always say that there's always somebody worse. There's always. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I've for years had this affirmation that I would say to myself to help me get through, I guess, my transitioning um, as I was evolving in, in business because of my upbringing. And I would say I'm rich in relationships and love. And I would focus on having like being wealthy in friendships, wealthy in health, wealthy in connections, all those things, because, you know, money isn't the only thing that has value. And I've been around people, I've been in a relationship with with someone that all they valued was me. And you could see the difference in how they treated people and how they honored things. And I just didn't want to be that. So I think it's beautiful that we've had that experience. And now that the life that we have now, we're still able to guide our children, hopefully in a healthier direction. <laughs> yeah, and see, I guess, you know, I remember going to visit one of our friends, like lovely guy, but he lives on his own in this huge house, huge estate. Um, in his garage, he's got maybe I don't know three sports cars, I think at least in there. One of them is in this like like bubble, um, air bubble thing to protect it. It's got all this like crazy stuff around it, and uh, you know, house is immaculate. He's got the 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 koi in the pond. He's got all these things in this huge house on his own with his cars in bubble wrap. And I remember the kids going, Mom, can we get a house someday? That looks awesome. I was like, that man's very, very sad. You know, he's very unhappy. Like, what he would do to have the three of you running around making noise, making mess, you know, happiness and fun. Like, that's not the life you want for sure. Like, it, like yeah. nothing about that made me go, oh, wow, I want this. Like, yeah. it just made me really sad. There was no yeah. life in that house. And it was, I felt for him, I really did. Yeah, I, I, there was a study I read one time and I don't know if it was like just about um, shoes, it was just like material things, but people who overly purchase, I don't, like I said, I don't remember if it was strictly just shoes or material things, but it was basically saying like, there's a emptiness that they're trying to fill from, you know, their childhood. There's an emptiness within them that's void that they're trying to fill with those things. So I would much rather have, you know, connections and love and people than the material thing. Yeah, actually, yeah, I am. Um, when I was after mom had passed away, I, I actually got arrested for shoplifting. And I remember when when they took me into the, the police cell and I had um, a bag full of clothes that didn't wouldn't have fit me, like wouldn't have been my size, wouldn't have been my color, anything. And, you know, the police were actually really, really nice to me. Luckily enough, I, you know, I, I was quite, I was tearful, I was regretful, I, you know, I was sorry for what I'd done. And I think they realized that, you know, I was just a bit of a little lost child at the time. But now I've, you know, studied it a bit more and realized that shoplifting is part of the grief process. And, and that is something that, but at the time, it definitely wasn't known that that was part of that. And, but luckily yeah. I had some good, some good police at that point. But yeah, there was nothing in that bag that I would have worn, that I would have needed. That It was just stuff. It was just stuff yeah. that void, I guess. Yeah. Wow. I guess what, what advice would you give to a woman 
that's on her path to overcoming right now? I think that in that moment that you're feeling that pain, that I can't go on feeling this is awful, just from from people that have been through it, tomorrow's a different day and that it, you, it does get better. And what you're doing right now is almost learning and, and growing that what we were just talking about with the healing process that this moment is actually just preparing you for the next moment which is just going to be better and it is it always gets better even in that darkest moment it always gets better yeah beautiful advice thank you so before we go to our final segment I would love if you could tell those listening where they could stay connected with you online where they can learn more from you and about all the initiatives that you're a part of uh, yes, so alanastock.com is my website, which is actually, it's up at the moment, but it's been developed, so I'll have everything that, that I'm doing. And then across you know, social media, I guess, alanastock is pretty much where you'll get me on anything. Awesome. So I will definitely have all of the links where they can connect with you in the detailed section below the episode, so they don't have to search too far. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So for the final segment of the show, it's kind of like a rapid fire. You can answer one word, one sentence. I don't really like to live in a box. It makes me feel claustrophobic. So if you feel you need to expand your answers, feel free. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's start with name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. The Time Cleanse. I know that's not going to be, it's not, it's not, you know, empowering. It's not them, but it is a fantastic book about just learning what doesn't matter in your life and to get rid of the stuff that's taken up too much time. I love it. I'm going to add that to my reading list. Thank you. Okay. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would that be? It forward, I think would be my one. Yeah. Love it. Okay. What would you say is your superpower? Uh, Forgiveness. Love it. All right, what's the last thing you do at night before you go to bed and the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? I always, I've, uh, since she's been born, it's almost a bit of an OCD, but I always kiss Molly. I have to kiss Molly before before I go to sleep. And then wake up is now feed my six-month-old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? I wish we would see ourselves the way we see our best friends we i wish we could love ourselves as much as we love the person we love the most that is beautiful including myself i do i have to say it myself every day stop it stop judging yourself that is great advice and again now i'm trying not to like tear up because my one of my closest friends had said that to me about two years ago should i wish you would give yourself as much grace as you give others i wish you would show yourself as much love as you show others so Thank you, Alana. Thank you for sharing your healing journey with us, your wisdom, all of your tools. Thank you for the work that you do in the world. I truly, truly appreciate you. And, and I don't take this this time lightly. So thank you. Oh, and thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And to all of you healers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We would love to know, you know, what you took away from Alana's story. What resonated with you? Feel free to screenshot this episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Alana at Alana Stott. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Be sure to pick up our books available online. And a healthy community is a healing community. And a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.